if you will, open up your Bibles to Philippians, the first chapter, and uh, we are going to touch on a subject. I have three titles for it, so I'm not, I've switched them, you know, feel like you play the slot machine, a new thing comes up, you know, people are like, I don't know what that is. No, of course we don't. But, you know, we've all watched the movie where they had a slot machine. And, you know, one time this comes up. And so I'm going to talk about heaven. So when I was a youth pastor, there was a video that was out called Heaven, Yes, Hell, No. thought that would be a cool title. Um, you know, Heaven is for Real or Visions of Heaven. So you can title whichever one you want on yours, on your paper. And then when it comes out and you see it online, you'll know which one we picked. And uh, But Philippians, the first chapter, there is a heaven. You know, one minister that I had heard and would listen to, he has gone to be with the Lord for years. He used to say it like this, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. In other words, there's a hell to escape and a heaven to be gained. And um, we're going to talk about heaven. And we're going to look at different things, really eyewitness accounts, genuine ones of people who had experiences with heaven. And uh, heaven is in the unseen realm, just like the Lord is. But someday it will be seen by all. And it's a real place. And the Bible tells us that the Lord will come back at some point. And just knowing that, and I, mean, and I don't mean having an idea like, oh yeah, the Lord's going to come back. But he said, if everybody or anybody who has this hope in them, it will drive them to change their life if it is something that's real and really grips them. Philippians, the first chapter, this is the Apostle Paul uh, talking about his life and ministry in verse 21. He said, for to me to live is Christ. We would say it like this, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. That's what he said. When I'm here on the earth, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to live for the Lord. And then he goes on to say, and to die is gain. I mean, if you really think about it, he knew that there was great value in him living for the Lord when he was here upon the earth. He knew he would impact lives for eternity. He wouldn't just affect people in the here and now. He was affecting their eternal course. And he knew that he had to do something about it, that he and everybody has a purpose in life to affect things for the kingdom of God. And so he said, for to me, to live is to live for Christ, and to die is to gain. That's a huge statement. To die is gain. Have you ever known somebody who's died? We all have. And the longer we go, the more we'll know. And eventually, if the Lord doesn't come, we'll all be one of them that die. It happens. It, it, as a matter of fact, there's a 100% guarantee. You can evade taxes, but you can't evade this. You can delay this, but you can't avoid this if the Lord doesn't come back. But notice what he said, to die is gain. But the question is, is to die gain for him? Or is to die gain for everybody? Or who is it a gain for? For some people, dying is not a gain. It's been said, for the lost world who does not know the Lord, this is the only heaven they'll ever experience. 
for the saved person who dies, this is the only hell they're going to know. In other words, the, really what they're saying is, for the person who doesn't know the Lord, earth is as good as it's going to be. And for the saved person, earth is as bad as it's ever going to be, and it can be good with the Lord. So when they say, this is the only hell that we'll ever know, this just means this is the only uh, time we'll have tests, trials, and different things, and really, it's not hell. Not even close to hell. And so it says, verse 21, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. It's gain, and it's far better. But notice the one phrase he said there. He never said he ceased to exist. He just said, if I live on here in the flesh. But, he said, if I depart, well, what's he departing? One, he's departing his flesh. We know that when people die, they depart their flesh. The person does not cease to exist. They just depart their flesh. And he said, for me to abide in the flesh or depart. What did he mean depart? He meant depart the flesh. The Bible said the body without the spirit is dead being alone. Notice it doesn't say when you don't have a body, you don't exist. And there are people who teach that. That you just die and you're gone. But that is not what God says. That is not what the Bible said. And so literally... People who know the Lord, when they depart, they depart their flesh. You can no longer contact them. You with me? If, if you have a jacket on, the jacket is animated until you take the jacket off. The jacket is not you. The jacket is what helps you to function in real cold weather, like here in Arizona where it's like 68. You know what I mean? It helps you to function here. But here's another thing. You could function with or without a jacket. But if you went to space, you couldn't operate without a space suit. You get out of that space suit and you will no longer be there. And if you get out of this earth suit, you will no longer be here. And it's good to say that that you will no longer be here doesn't mean you do not cease to exist. See, when Adam and Eve died in the garden, they did not cease to exist when they sinned because God said, in the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Well, if somebody ate it and they fell down on the ground dead, you go, I'm not going to eat that. Adam would have been dumb. Eve would have fallen. Whoa, I knew it. But see, what happened was, it wasn't, it wasn't physical. It was spiritual death. Spiritual death does not mean 
a spirit does not exist, it means it exists without the life of God. It means it's absent of divine life. Really, angels that fell and left their first estate that roam in the unseen realm are called demons. They do not have the life of God. Only angels that did not leave their first estate and rebel with Lucifer, who is now called Satan. You know, people have asked this question over the years. If God's a loving God, then how come some people go to heaven and some people go to hell if he's a loving God? And I say it's because he's a loving God. Because if you think an angel without the life of God, which we call a demon, is wreaking havoc in the spirit realm. And they need to be locked up for eternity or else they'll keep wreaking havoc forever and ever and ever and ever. Then heaven would not be heaven. Because we're going to look that heaven has peace and joy and no more sorrow and no more pain. And we see that pain is an infliction of the work of the enemy. Are you with me? Without him, that stuff does not exist. And so, if he was allowed to roam for eternity, there would be battles, there would be fights, and there is going to be no more of that when people make it to heaven. And after the Millennium Kingdom, there will be none of that forever. But if you had those fallen angels not locked in hell, there would be struggles, there would be battles that forever and ever, that would be not cool. But, so God made a place called hell, and it says he made it for angels, not humans. That's what people need to realize. It was not made for humans, though humans will go there. And for the same reason that angels that departed from their first estate and, and decided to go it their own way, we call them demons, they will be locked away for eternity because God loves Because God loves. And they're rogue beings that would cause harm and torment for eternity. So he will lock them away. And you have people that God never intended for them to go there who don't receive eternal life. And, and humans are considered a higher class of being, according to the Bible, than angels. Could you imagine a disembodied human that had a fallen nature, like demons or fallen angels, roaming the universe and, and, and all the unseen realm for eternity, it would be worse than just angels out there. Therefore, because of God's great love, He made a way for them to get eternal life, to have a different nature, so that they can live on forever with Him in heaven and not in hell. Heaven is not for everybody who lives perfect, and hell is not for people who just are not quite good enough. It's for people who have eternal life, who have received the Lord, and then the other is for people who rejected Him. That may sound harsh, but it's actually love in a huge measure, because it's free for all. Are you with me? And so here... When he said about abiding in the flesh, 
he was saying, I'll stay here, I'll abide in the flesh, or I'll continue to be, but I won't be abiding here, and I'll go to be with the Lord. He said it's far better, and he said it is gain. Verse 23, for I am hard pressed between the two. He was hard pressed between the two. That's a real interesting statement. You say, why? Because some people don't think they can be hard pressed between the two. Notice he said having a desire to depart, which is good, but it's far better to go. He said, but it's more needful for me to stay here and help other people. The interesting thing is, Paul talked about uh, it being more of a choice of exactly when you go. A lot of people think that going to heaven or departing the earth is all based on God. And some kind of clock he has for you and you never know and you just click it and, it and it starts, you know, when you come into the earth and then it just, you know, you could be destined to be 50 years old and drop dead. Or you could be destined to be 90 and you just never know because when your time comes, that's it. But do you know that's not true? The Bible said the, the first commandment with the promise of getting uh, a long life is how you treat your parents. He said if you do it, you can have a long life and a good life. How you treat your parents. Every parent should know that verse and share it with their kids. Every kid should know it for their own good. That doesn't mean we would agree with everything. Jesus didn't even agree with Mary, uh, you know, like he did something wrong when he got left behind when he was a 12-year-old kid, and she said, you know, they caravaned on with the family, and they're looking around, they're thinking he's with the family, he's not there, they got to travel back, he's in the synagogue. It was the first Home Alone <laughs> movie, and he's there, and he said, don't you know I ought to be about my father's business? And then it said, but he, became, he remained subject to her. He honored her. And think about it. You know, he was keeping the law. He never broke the law. Now, I know there are people who would think you, you can't follow your parents blindly. And I agree. Because, you know, there, were, there have been people throughout history who have trained their kids to shoplift and steal for them. Well, you just don't do that. Amen. That's, that's not good. Some of you are like, ah, no. But some people think, well, there's just this clock. If you read the book of Proverbs, it talks about how you can actually lengthen your days or shorten your days by things that you do. Amen? And there are people that don't realize they've talked themselves to death in more way than one. I remember growing up, remember Elvis Presley? I know he's still alive, right? He'll appear sometime. Him and Bruce Lee and Tupac. 
and uh, all going to appear at some point. They're not really dead. No, they're really dead. But I remember when we were little, you would hear people talk about Elvis would always say, I'm not going to live till I'm this age. I'm not going to live till I'm this age. I'm not going to live till I'm this age. Now, you can say that once or twice, but if you keep doing that, you start setting spiritual laws in motion, and death and life are in the power of the tongue. And you can do something and cause harm to your own life. Amen. That works on a grander scale than just that. It does. And it takes a long time sometimes to make that work, but, but it will work. When I get old, I'll fall apart. Don't, don't talk like that. And don't think just because you say it one time, it's going to happen. But we're talking about our existence till we go to heaven. I'm talking as believers. And Paul seemed to talk about being hard-pressed between the two. He said, he said I'm not sure what I'm going to choose. The King James says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And then verse 25, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy of faith. But the King James says, what I will choose, I don't know. In other words, he had a part to play in it. He had a part to play, whether he went on to be with the Lord, and then, but he was evaluating what his impact would be. You know, the Bible talks about uh, certain people who are Christians who are dead while they're alive. Now, that's not talking about uh, spiritual death. It just means they're causing more problems than good while they're here. They're gossiping, they're backbiting, and he called them dead while they're alive. They're around talking about people, saying bad things. But he was saying, if I'm going to stay here before I go to heaven, then I'm, it's going to be fruit that is going to cause great good effect on the earth. And that is something we have a choice in. Amen? Uh, how much fruit we bear while we're here. And notice he said, otherwise I'm going to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. How in the world would he have known it would have been far better? Now, he could have known by the Scripture, because there's Old Testament Scriptures that talk about people who were caught up into heaven, saw heaven, saw the throne of God, saw angels, uh, and, and saw the glory of God. But he actually had an experience, turn to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and I'm actually not going to read it in the King James Version. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. And 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and the second verse through the fourth verse. Now, there are Bible people who say, well, we don't know if this was actually Paul who had this experience or if he was talking about somebody else. But here is something that will help you to understand. It was Paul talking about his own experience. You want to know why? Context. 
all through the latter parts of the 11th chapter, he talked about, I don't want to boast about what I've gone through. I was whipped and I was beaten because people were bragging about what they had been through with the Lord. And and Paul was basically saying, you don't need to brag about all this stuff that you've gone through and all the things that you've experienced. We should give glory to God. We shouldn't be trying to lift up ourselves and go, look at me and look at what I've been through and look what I've done. And, and then he said, then he goes through and he said, you know, boasting is not the right thing, but if you need somebody to boast and you want to really look at somebody, he said, I was shipwrecked. I was whipped. I was beaten. I was this many days. I've been stoned to death. And then he goes on to talk about, now I don't need to boast, but this is what happened. And he goes on and then he said, talking about this boasting again, he said, now I'm going to go on to the subject about visions and revelations. And he then, after telling these other things he went through, now he didn't say, I'm going to go on to have a vision and a revelation. He said, I'm going to go on to discuss visions and revelations or ones he had. Because we know that he had more than one. We know that the Lord Jesus appeared to him when he was on the Damascus Road. We know angels and the Lord appeared to him in prison. We know he had visions where he saw a man of Macedonia who told them, you know, in a, in a dream to come over and preach the gospel to them. This may have been just a totally different one. He said, now, I'm going to go on to talk about not the whippings and the beatings that I had and all these things. And he's saying, I'm not trying to boast, but I am telling you, I've been through some stuff. And if anybody can boast... He said, I can. And then this was one of the times where he said, here's where I can share a personal experience. And he said this, verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 12, and we're talking about heaven. I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in the body or outside of the body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise. And I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. There were things he saw and things he experienced. He said, no human can tell you. You know, there are some things, and, and I've had this happen in my own life, and, and it's not uncommon where God will deal with me about something, and I'll know, and you can explain it like God is love, but there's a knowing, and you can't explain it. It is so real that his words help paint a picture, but pictures of heaven, how can you paint a picture of heaven? There's no way to get that from there to here. And words cannot get from there to here everything the way that they should be. And so Paul's explaining, I saw stuff, and he could say the blue is beyond blue, but you don't know what that means. It's like everything's alive and it breathes and 
But that still doesn't explain it. Because it's a spiritual reality. And he said there were things that were beyond description. Human words cannot give it. Isn't that true when a person gives their life to the Lord? Just that first experience of new life. You try to tell people. You try to give, get them to know exactly what it is I got. And they just can't. The only way is for them to get it themselves. Are you with me? But it's interesting, he talked about heaven being called paradise. Jesus told the guys on the cross, or the one guy on the cross, that was being killed next to him, he said, today, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. The other guy he did not say that to. The one who mocked him and did not look to him for help. He said, but you will be there. Here he calls the third heaven paradise. Well, what is the third heaven? Well, we have an atmospheric heaven. It's part of our existence. Without it, there's no oxygen. We don't live. But then there's beyond the atmosphere. I think it's like 6,200 miles up. And then beyond that is what we call the heavens or the non-atmospheric place where all the stars are and all the different constellations and all the different things that are out there. And... That is called the second heaven. But there's a third heaven that is not a visible heaven. It is where heaven is. And there is a geographic location to this heaven. The Bible says that promotion does not come from the east or the west or from the south, but it comes from the Lord. Notice it excludes north. But then, when Satan went to exalt his throne, when he ruled down here over something, he said, I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars, which are all the angels, above the clouds, to the heights, to the sides of the north, where God sits. There is some geographic. Now don't go, oh, we need to go to the north. We'll be close to God. No, the believer can has God dwelling in them. You know, we don't have to go to the mountains to be close to God, but sometimes you can get quieter in the mountains. It, to me, it's so interesting some of the earthly things that are out here that if you knew the Bible, you would go, whoa. Like, if it is that God is on the sides of the north, because Satan said, that's where I'm going, and promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south, but it comes from the Lord, it would seem that his geographic place somewhere in the third heaven, this unseen realm, there is a kingdom, a celestial or heavenly kingdom, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But what's real interesting is we are told that by earth and by things in the earth, we can see and God can be revealed by observation. 
And people have to deny certain things. It's interesting that we have what's called the Northern Lights. Anybody ever heard of the Northern Lights? It's not, Northern, it's not a bathroom light. It's a Northern Light. It's not your neighbor up above you who's got their lights on and you wish they'd turn them off. No, it's these, they call it the Aurora Borealis. Have you ever looked at it? The primary color, it's a emerald green, isn't it? It's an emerald green that glows. You know what's so wild is we sing a song here, and there's lots of songs about the Lord and, and a rainbow around him. You know, anybody ever heard those songs? Rainbows of living color, flashes and all this and different ones. Do you know that there, the Bible doesn't say there's a rainbow around him of multicolors. It says a rainbow of emerald green. Go look in the book of Revelation. You wonder... Did he do that up there just so we could look and go, wow, that is incredible. But is there something in the unseen realm that's way beyond that? And that could tell us something about something. You can look that up in the book of Revelation. We, we don't have time. But when it talks about a rainbow, it says emerald green. Or as of emerald and so he said he saw different things that were inexpressible. John 14, Jesus said this, and we'll go back and look at some other things here about uh, people and actually what heaven looked like. But notice this in John 14. Jesus himself who said, I came down from heaven. No man's seen the Father, but he had. And he said, and then I'm going back there. And we know he had visions when he was on the earth. Because there were people that ended up being with him and having experiences and, and visions. But John 14, it says this, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house. Now we know God dwells in heaven. According to the word of God. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am in heaven, where there are mansions, I mean, some of us would just be happy if there was a condo. In my father's house are many condos. But isn't it true that, that even in most people, until you're trained in school, that you should minimalize, you dream of living in a mansion? I mean, most people aren't like, boy, I wish I could live in a shack someday, or a cardboard box. You're thinking a mansion. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. That's all that God's preparing. Some people are bothered by that. Oh, the dust. Be, the former things will be passed. There will be no more dust. Amen. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Go down to verse 6. Jesus said, 
To him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the context, he's not only talking about coming to the Father, but he's talking about coming to this place that we call heaven, what we call paradise or the third heaven, where God is, this unseen place. Hell is in the unseen too. You know, years ago, uh, there were uh, videos out where these people had drilled, you know, Anybody know where I'm going with this? Oh, there's people. They drilled down and they were somewhere and they could drilled so far down they could hear people crying in hell. And I thought, no, no, they didn't. Because if you could hear them crying in hell, you're hearing into the spirit realm. Are you with me? It wouldn't be through this ear. God doesn't deal with you through this ear. The devil doesn't deal with you through this ear. Only your wife deals with you through this ear. Okay, never mind. What? Oh man, I totally lost my place. No, I didn't. No, we deal with one another through our ears. Are you with me? And we communicate to deal with people. But God deals with us from the spiritual part of us. The part that goes to be with Him. The enemy deals with people through their mentality. Through thoughts and ideas and suggestions. We can't dig down and hear uh, people calling out. We can't. They're there, but we can't do that. That'd be like saying, man, if only one of the astronauts would have taken a string and a can, threw it out the window of the shuttle, we could have been like, do you guys hear that? It's God. No, we could just send a satellite right up there to the north. No, God dwells there, but he's in the spirit realm. He's in the spirit realm. It's a real place like hell is a real place. Let's take a look at it here in Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Heaven is real. Jesus is real. You know, I remember reading the book in the book of Acts one day and looking where it said, and Jesus was caught up into heaven and the clouds received him out of their sight. I went, wow, he left their visual appearance, but he did not cease to exist. He just is outside of sight. He's outside of sight. Someday he's going to come back into sight. But he's still there and he's in heaven. This is where he's at right now. Notice this Revelation 22, 1 through 5. And he showed me, now this is John who's having a, what's called a revelation or this vision, this experience. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Isn't it interesting that people who get eternal life, the Bible said they have a well of living water? In them, 
people who are saved and get filled with the Spirit have rivers of, notice, not water, living water. And here, out of the throne of God in heaven, it says, proceeds a clear as crystal river proceeding from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb or the throne of Jesus. In the middle of its street, let me go back and read the, the verse before through. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. We would say there is a flow of life like a river, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river, so this is out down from the, the throne where this river's flowing, it says there's a tree or trees of life which bear 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees, not even the fruit. Just the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. In other words, this life flows out and these leaves that come off of the trees uh, will, will heal nations and restore nations. So you, if, if, if anybody got to heaven, it doesn't mean you would see this part right away. If you had a vision, it doesn't mean you would see this right away. But this is one part that he saw. He saw this and what these things did. And verse 3 it said, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Verse 4 says, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. So you're all going to get a tattoo? No, that's not what it means. You will be marked by God. You are his property. Inwardly, the Bible said you've already been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit or God's seal being the Holy Spirit. Meaning this, the, a seal from a king is not you know, sealed like a Ziploc bag. It's like, you know, if you ever watch those movies, you know, uh, Excalibur or something, we got to send a letter and you bring your knights and then they write the letter and then they, the king signs it and then he drips some wax and hits it with his ring and it leaves a mark. That is the king's seal. The king's seal for the believer is the Holy Spirit in you. A permanent indwelling of the Spirit of God in the believer is the mark in the spirit realm that you belong to God. That you are His child. That you are sealed or marked. And so demons and angels, they can see what we cannot see. Like that one movie that had the commercial, I can see dead men walking. They see that. Then they see other people who have the Spirit of God in them. They belong to God. And it says, there shall be no curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. 
and his servants shall serve him. Verse 4, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. So it tells us that there is a heavenly uh, river, a throne. We know, if you read before, uh, that underneath the throne, there are martyrs that dwell there that pray, and they talk to God. And they call out and they say things like, when will you exact vengeance on those who killed us on the earth? I know that doesn't sound like a heavenly prayer. You know, most people think we float around and go, let's love everybody, Lord. And we do love everybody. But they're up there going, when are you going to exact vengeance on us for them taking our lives? Why would they be bothered? I thought, I thought Paul got done saying it's far better to be up there. Why are you guys bothered that, that they took your life? Because what Paul said, what we read there in Philippians, it, it would affect people. And when they killed those people who they would affect, did not get affected. When they didn't get to do the work they were supposed to do, and what they were assigned to do, then they did not get rewards for eternity. Their eternity was affected. Sure, they went to heaven. You know, people talk about aborted babies. And, and, and you know, oh, but at least they're in heaven. Yeah, but the other side is this. They've been robbed of bearing fruit in the earth, serving God with the design and purpose they have that will affect them for eternity. Sure, they'll go. The Bible tells us. If we do everything wrong, but we get in because we're saved, our works will be tried by fire. Nothing will remain. We'll get no reward. But that affects eternity. I remember telling this one girl, I was witnessing to her. She ended up giving her life to the Lord. I said, you, you know, after this, this really bugged her. I said, you know, you could go to heaven. And she was just looked like, you know, a model type of person. And, you know, like somebody who would be in a magazine. And, and I said, if you don't really do God's work while you're here, you can end up being a trash truck driver in heaven. <laughs> she was like, ah, oh. you could tell that rattled her. She didn't want to be a trash truck driver. She's like, ah, oh. I don't know if she looked at her nails, but our eternity is affected by what we do here. Now, it may not be true. You know, somebody's writing this down. I don't want to be a trash truck driver in heaven. I don't know if there will be trash trucks in heaven. But I do know there will be rewards. And it will be different for different people. And it's not always the way you think you're going to get rewards. You don't get rewards for just doing what you want to do. You get rewards for doing what He wants you to do but I want to be an astronaut. You don't get rewards for being an astronaut. Now down here, you'll get rewards. People will high-five you. They'll let you speak to crowds of thousands. They'll let you talk to whoever. And people are like, that's the astronaut. That's the astronaut. But up there, the Lord will say, I didn't want you to be an astronaut, and you knew that. And you won't be able to hold your helmet like this and go, but I was an astronaut. <laughs> because he'll know, I told you 
what to do. Or you should have pursued me to know what to do. Because that's our responsibility too. And it's not all on God to know what to do. Well, if he wants me to do it, he'll get it across to me. Well, if he wanted you to get saved, would he get it across to you? He wants the whole world saved. He's dependent on human cooperation. Hallelujah. Let's go back to the trash truck. No. Revelation 21. The chapter before. Verse 9. And if you're a student of the Bible, you might think, hey, but some of this stuff is... uh, what will happen during uh, the millennial reign, you know, after the Lord's second coming at the end of the, what they call the tribulation period, or the last three and a half years are called the great tribulation, that tribulation like, that has never been on the earth before. And, and people will say, oh, uh, some of this stuff is going to transfer we're going to see that there's a holy mountain with a new Jerusalem or a heavenly Jerusalem that is there now, and he observed it, but it will transfer at some point down to the earth. I mean, when the Lord comes back, he's not just coming back with horses. He's coming back with a heavenly Jerusalem, the city of our God, the city of the King. And in Jerusalem is literally the city of peace. And talk about peace. It is going to be incredible. 21 verse 9. You ready? Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. That is believers. Believers who have gone on and were believers who are still on the earth. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. So there's mountains in heaven. There's a throne. There's river or rivers. And we know there's horses depending on the translation you read on some of this where it talks about beasts, some translation reads the animals. And it says, unto a high mountain and showed me the the great city. Not just a, but the great city, the holy Jerusalem. We know we have an earthly one descending out of heaven from God. Having, and this is at his coming when he sets that millennium kingdom up. It's there, but it will come down. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates And names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations on them. 
and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Well, we know there's a reference to the 24 thrones of the elders, which would seem to be the apostles of the Lamb, which were not the apostle Paul. Paul could not be an apostle of the Lamb because he was not with him when he was baptized to the time of his resurrection. And so these apostles have their names on the foundation, and it says, and he who talked with me had a goal. It's gates and it's wall. So it's interesting that some things are left to interpretation. What does it look like inside? We know there's gold that's transparent, crystal clear, roads made like that. You see different things. And, uh, but then he said this guy had a measuring stick with a gold reed or rod. And verse 16, and the city is laid out in a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, height are equal. And verse 17, then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel, which is 1,400 miles. As we read on, it basically tells us this city is square. Depth, width, and height. You're talking 1,400 miles. The tallest mountain in the world is shy of, it's like 20-something thousand, I think 29,000. So it's six miles, not quite high, from sea level. We're talking, we got room for mansions. We've got, we've got a city that's like from the west coast to the middle of the United States. That's from the border of Mexico to the border of Canada and further. 1,400 miles. And then 1,400 miles high. And it's in the unseen realm. And it is so glorious that you won't even have to turn on a nightlight. No sun, no moon, no depression, no nothing. Notice it says, verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glacious stone. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, called, you got it as good as me, called any, called Selendini. Anybody got an idea? We're going to do a drawing. No. And he said the four, fourth emerald. He goes through all these different things. Verse 21, the 12, 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glory or transparent glass. It says, but I saw no temple in it. So he said, I mean, you see, he observes this thing and this thing is massive. And the one thing he notices about this heavenly, holy Jerusalem is there's no throne for God or the Lord or there's no temple. Verse 22, but I saw no temple in it, 
for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun or for the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. There will be so much glory. The whole place will radiate with power in God's presence. It will not be dark. You'll be smothered by His power, His peace, His joy, His comfort, His goodness, everything. It will be radiating for eternity. And it says, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. When he talks about nations, he, you know, our church name Christ to the nations, it literally means people groups, not literally continents always. People groups. The United States has people groups. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth uh, will bring their glory and honor into it. Its gate shall not be shut up at all by day, because there shall be no night. In other words, there this glory will be there all the time. There will be no reason. Back in the early days, you know, people would lock up a city from invaders, you know, during the night. Here, never any night, never any junk, never any garbage. Let's read these last two verses and close. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anyone or anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Interesting. The only ones able to enter are those who are in the Lamb's book of life. Not did I work hard enough, but did I receive the one who mattered? And then my name is written in that book, depending on how you look at that. Or it's already and it gets blotted out. But, nonetheless, those whose names are in the book, not those who work hard, those who have received the Lord. I'll say this, heaven, there's other accounts of heaven. Obviously, we're limited for time. But heaven is a real place. Heaven, you know, for us is like awesome. But for the world, it's only a dream that will never come true until they know the Lord. That's part of our responsibility. 